Turn, if you will, in your Bibles to Jude. This letter of Jude comes right before Revelation. We'll be looking at verses 1 and 2 this morning. As we have entitled it, Encouragement Amidst Trials. Encouragement Amidst Trials. Jude, verses 1 and 2. Hear with me the reading of God's Word. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Thus far as the reading of God's Word. Well, it has been said that the most neglected book of the New Testament is this little book of Jude that we are going to be studying. Perhaps it's spoken of as such because it contains 25 short verses. Perhaps it's spoken of as such because Jude bears much similarity to 2 Peter. And so if you preach through a more popular book like 1 Peter, you're probably going to then preach through 2 Peter, which means that there probably isn't much urgency then to turn to Jude. But Jude is rich in instruction for a church who is dealing with, as Jude says in verse 4, those who pervert the grace of God. For Jude writes to encourage the church of who they are in Christ and instruct what is the due penalty for those who reject the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. And so I ask, when has there ever been a time when the church has not needed this encouragement and this instruction. For today in our present age, these 25 verses, this small little book is needed more than ever. As churches are continually being infiltrated and assaulted and assailed by those who would claim the name of Christ but have no share in His glorious kingdom. As today, doctrine and value are devalued and feelings are what count. Making people comfortable in church, accepting of all and any beliefs out of the sense that this is what true love is. And so the fact that more than half of this letter of Jude is dedicated to describing the judgment that awaits those who reject the Orthodox faith is appalling to many. Who wants to hear that God's love doesn't mean judgment ceases? Right? That doesn't sound very accepting. It doesn't sound very loving. It doesn't sound very fun to hear. But to neglect this teaching, to not preach the whole counsel of God, this is what is unloving. For Jude's words are the words divinely inspired by God. And so perhaps those who wish to have their ears tickled, this little letter of Jude is not what they want to hear. But for you, brothers and sisters, for sons and daughters of God, this book, these 25 verses our nourishment for our souls. For who here hasn't experienced those who have come into uh, churches or have come into your presence and tried to cause division? Who hasn't here experienced those who sought to lure you away from the truth of the gospel by false teaching? Who hasn't here perhaps experienced those who made you question your faith? And so what encouragement it brings to the Christian to know that no matter what Satan attacks you with or no matter what anyone else attacks you with, we can have confidence that as Jude says in this opening salutation, 
that we are those who are called by the Father. We are those who are loved by the Father. And we are those who are kept by the Father for Christ. And if kept for Christ, then Satan nor anyone else can prevail against you and I. For all those that the Father has given the Son, the Son will raise up on the last day. He will lose none. So we see why this little book is so important to the church. And we as a church aren't to be saddened or frightened upon hearing of the impending judgment that awaits. For judgment for the Christian is a glorious and joyous time. For this, we will finally be in the presence of our Lord for all of eternity. But for those who sit in the pews, perhaps each week, unconverted, they need to hear this message of what their just recompense will be unless they repent of their sin and cleave unto Christ and His merits alone. And yet, not only does the church need encouragement when met with trials, and not only does it need instruction in dealing with the doom that awaits those who reject the Orthodox faith, but the church also needs to know what to do when these trials arise. And Jude also supplies us with this answer. In verse 20 he will say, But you, beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, And praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. See, there is a response that ensues for those who have genuine faith. We just don't sit on our hands and wait for God's return. No, we are to be doing something in anticipation for His arrival, which we will see later on in this letter. As we see in Jude's time as well as today, Moral decay ravages our churches. But Jude is writing for the purpose of exhorting Christians to contend for the faith. And this teaches us then, though, that there is a right and a wrong faith. There is right and wrong doctrine. As Jude says, that the faith that we are to contend for is the one that has been delivered to the saints once and for all. There are teachings that we as a church must defend. Not all beliefs are equal and worthy in the sight of God. Only those contained within the Scriptures. Not the doctrines of men, but the doctrines of God. Now as we look at who are the recipients of this letter, what we can say is that they're probably Jewish Christians. Obviously there may be Gentile Christians in the fold, but we we can say with much certainty that they're probably Jewish Christians because Jude references in this letter, Jewish apocalyptic literature. So he's going to reference something like the book of First Enoch in the Testament of Moses, which we will see later on in his letter. But so, in referencing these things, it makes sense that he's writing to those who would understand them. So he's writing to Jewish Christians. Yet we don't know for certain who Jude is writing to. There is no particular uh, church or churches named, which is why Jude's epistle is usually called a Catholic epistle because it's written to the church at large, all the church, no one in particular. Yet we know that Jude must be writing at least to a group of churches for he is writing in opposition to those whom he has called ungodly, who have come and infiltrated the church and whom he says perverted the grace of God. And so what we know of these ungodly persons, though, is only what Jude here describes to us. In verse 4 he says, They deny Christ. 
In verse 19, they are devoid of the Spirit. And again in verse 4, he says, they turn grace into sensuality. But we know that they must be those who are stirring up great trouble within the churches. As Jude goes so far as to compare them to those who were extremely wicked and sinful in the Old Testament, which we will see later on. Yet this is not how this book ends. Jude, after describing the terrors of judgment, will in verse 24 and 25 deliver beautiful praise unto our only God and Savior. He will put that exclamation point on the message he has delivered to the saints, bringing remembrance to them one final time of who it is they trust in. The one who keeps them from stumbling, it says. The one full of majesty and dominion and authority forever and ever. So that, in a nutshell, is what we are going to be studying for the next coming weeks or months. And so, to begin looking at these first two verses, we're going to look at them under three headings. It's going to be a pretty easy. It's going to be who we are. Who as Christians does Jude say we are? The second heading, second point, is what we receive. And the third point being why we receive it. So it's pretty easy. If you're taking notes, uh, who, what, why? Who, what, why? Yet before we get to the who we are, the author, as is customary, introduces himself to his audience. And so Jude begins in verse 1 saying, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Now Jude was the half-brother of our Lord Jesus Christ, as is recorded in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. As Matthew records, Jesus was teaching in Nazareth, his hometown, and people obviously recognized him and they asked, where does he get this wisdom and this ability to do these mighty works? For it says in verse, it says, as they're saying amongst themselves, is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not his mother Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Now Jude is an English variant of Judas. So in English we use Jude instead of Judas to distinguish Jude from Judas Iscariot. Okay? And so the Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, comes in and introduces himself to his audience as a servant of the Lord. Now this designation of servant of the Lord is not an uncommon uh, a way to, to, to introduce oneself as Peter and Second Peter says, I'm Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Or James, in the opening verses, says, James, a servant of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. And even Paul uses this designation in Titus when he says, Paul, a servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ. And so Jude, as well as James, Paul, and Peter, are in calling themselves servants of the Lord, attempting to convey to their audience their allegiance and submission to Jesus Christ. Likewise, what they are also showing is their humility. They identify themselves as servants of the Lord to their audience. Yet this is no less a statement of their authority than any other title. Jude has been given authority to write into the churches because he is servant. And because he is servant and has been given full authority to write they are to receive his letter as such. 
Now, in addition, what is interesting though, is we see in this opening verse that Jude introduces himself not as the brother of Jesus, but as the brother of James. Why do you think that is? Usually, we're a people who like to impress others with who we know. Uh, oh, you know that person? Oh, yeah. You know, he's my, he's my best pal. We talk on the phone a, you know, a few days a week. He gets me into all the hot spots. I'm real close with him. Real, real good buds. But Jude doesn't do that. As Jude already, in his designation as servant, demonstrated to us his humility, once again in identifying himself with James and not Jesus, he does so once more. He says, My authority to write to you is not found in the fact that I am brother of Jesus. My authority to write to you is because I am servant of our Lord. Flesh and blood have little value if I be not servant of God. My familial relationship with Christ is of no bearing if I am not servant of the Lord. And so Jude writes as servant of the Lord. Yet he buffers the reliability of his writing by saying, I am brother of James though. You received James. You know James is a servant of the Lord and you have received his word. I too, as servant of the Lord, receive mine as well. And so now Jude turns from describing the one who's writing the letter to the ones being written to. He now turns to the recipients of the letter and he says this, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father or loved by the Father and kept for Jesus Christ. So this brings us to our first heading this morning, which is who we are. Who it is Jude says Christians are. And he begins with saying that Christians are those who are called. Christians are those who are called. This is in distinction from those who have crept into the church unnoticed, designated for condemnation. Now we all know that there is a general calling. There is a general calling that goes forth through the preaching of the word to all people. But here, Jude has in mind that inward call, not just the external call. Now this inward call has been described elsewhere as even a a heavenly calling, as the author of Hebrews in chapter 3, verse 1 writes, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling. This calling is also referred to as an, an effectual calling. For all who are called externally are likewise called internally by the power of God and brought into fellowship with Him. And we know that this calling is effectual for Paul tells us this elsewhere. In Romans 8, verse 30, he says, And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. All who have been internally called are kept for Christ when He returns, where we will be glorified, Paul says. Yet know that this inward call comes forth first. It's preceded by the external call. It is through the hearing of the Gospel that we are brought forth unto Christ. It is The Gospel is the instrument used to bring us unto our Savior. For this is the manner, God's Word, that He uses to exercise His power and demonstrate His glorious works. What is it that He said to Lazarus? Lazarus, come out! He used His words in John 11. His words preceded Lazarus coming forth from death to life. And today, God uses His Word 
to draw people out of death unto life. Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians verse 14. To this He called you through our Gospel so that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. And why does He call us forth? Because at one time we were all a people whose every thought and intention of our hearts were evil continually by nature. We were those who were set opposed to God. The great Puritan Thomas Manton said this, By nature, we were not only exiles, but fugitives. By nature, we were not only exiles, but fugitives. What a great point often missed. Not only do we come into this earth with our hearts bent away from God, but we are running away from Him as well. Think about our first parents. Adam and Eve. Did they not likewise not only violate the command of God, but then run from it as well? Like a fugitive. They not only transgress the law, but they flee it. In Genesis 3.8, what does it say? And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. They fled and they hid themselves from the Lord. Yet what was the Lord's response? In verse 9 it says, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? They fled from him. They hid from him. And he called unto them. Like our first parents, we are those who are sinners, transgressors of the law, and so we ran from God. We wanted no parts of Him, but just as He called our first parents, He likewise calls each and every one of you, not only with an external calling, but an internal calling, which causes you to have both your, your will and your affections and your thoughts towards turned unto Him. This is the calling that Jude speaks of. And what a comfort that should be to the Christian. This is the comfort that Jude seeks to employ and to give to his church in the midst of trials. No matter what persecution comes your way, regardless of the tax that you are dealing with, you know that you are those who are loved by the Father with a heavenly calling. And so your calling is sure. And so know everyone here that you are a called people. You have been called forth from self to Christ. You've been called forth from a state of sin to a state of grace. You've been called forth from the pits of hell to the glories of heaven. And so our response is to walk in a manner then worthy of our calling. No longer walking like this world. This world tells us, do whatever makes you happy. Serve yourselves for you only live once. But Paul says that these people are ungodly and these ungodly people will have no share in the inheritance to come. And such were all of us. Such were all of us. But then we were washed. We were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. And so now we are to live by the Spirit. We are to walk by the Spirit. We are to keep in step with the Spirit. And so you may ask, well, well why, are, why is it that we have been called forth out of all peoples why did He call people from like us? Why did He deliver us from sin, death, and the devil? And Jude's response to you would be, because you are loved by the Father. You are loved by the Father. Now this initial greeting is not uncommon. 
to tell the saints, to remind them of their calling and of God's love for them. For Paul in Romans 7 says likewise, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Father's love for the saints is what Jude stresses here. It is the love of the Father that is the reason that we are His treasured possession. It is because the Father loved us that we are called and kept. What a time more than ever for these saints Jude writes to, do, to be reminded of this. As they are dealing with the attacks, as they are dealing with those who seek to lure them away from the Gospel. But Jude reminds them that although they may be dealing with this, they are not an abandoned people. For God loves them. These false converts don't love them. They use God's love as an opportunity to pervert His grace. And they try to get the saints to follow in after them. But this does not lead to eternal life. Rather, this leads to death. No, Jude tells them, you are a people who have been chosen by God, called out of this world. He has set His love upon you and He will preserve each and every one of you until the end. The actions of these false converts does not demonstrate love, yet the Father has demonstrated love to His people. First, by rescuing us out of our misery, not by anything found within each one of us, but out of His own goodwill and pleasure. And secondly, God has demonstrated His love to us by sending His Son to die on our behalf. We're all familiar with John 3.16 as was likewise read in the reading of the Gospel today. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. Christ and the redemption He purchased is often at the forefront of our lips when we speak to one another. It's often at the forefront of preaching. It's often at the forefront of our prayers. And rightly it should be so but also which we should keep in mind and at the forefront of our preaching and at the forefront of our prayers is the love of God. For how does John 3.16 begin? It begins with, For God so loved the world. If the Father would not have loved you first, Christ would not have come to redeem you. Think about that. You would not know Christ. You would not be saved by grace through through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, had not the Father first loved you. It is the Father who has His hand in all of redemption. And Paul says this very thing in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. He says, In love, He, that is the Father, predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. See, Jude focuses the second part of verse 1 all on the Father. It is the Father who loved you. It is the Father who called you. And it is the Father who keeps you. So we as sons and daughters of God are to offer gratitude and heartfelt obedience unto our Lord. How encouraging it is to the saints, to each one of us. You may be dealing with many trials. You may be dealing with struggling or ailing health infirmity. You may be dealing with persecution perhaps at work or even within your family because of your Christian faith. But regardless of what your physical ailment you're dealing with or what who or who does not like you, we can have confidence in knowing that we are those who are loved by the Father and ultimately isn't that what matters? We are those loved by the Father 
And as those loved by the Father, we can withstand any onslaught that comes our way of anyone opposed to our Lord. As Jude will say in the following verse, it is because of the Father that these wonderful graces like mercy, peace, and love are given to us and sustain us in this world even though everything may seem to be falling apart around us. For the Father is the fountain of all spiritual graces and He never burdens us with more than we can bear yet He always gives us an abundance of grace to live upon this earth, to live unto godliness and obedience. And so these saints too can contend for the faith in the face of false brethren, not because of their own mercy and peace and love, but because God has given them His mercy, peace and love. And the Father knows what it is His children need. Think of our earthly fathers. When our children deal with issues, we know how to help them and how to encourage them and give them what they need to overcome. Think about how much more our Heavenly Father helps us to overcome and how much greater the gift is He gives us spiritual graces, not just earthly ones. And it is because the Father has bestowed upon us uh, these great graces that Jude can say that not only are we those who are called by the Father, not only are those who are loved by the Father, but also we are those who are kept for Christ. Recall the words of Jesus in John Chapter 10, verses 25 through 29. In response to the Jews asking him, Tell us if you are the Messiah, Jesus says this I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand, for I and the Father are one. Jesus says, My Father has given them to me, and He is greater than all, and no one, not any one of you, can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Here in this verse, He lays the foundation, the basis for the perseverance of the saints. Why does the Father keep us? It is because it has been decreed by God's divine decree to set us apart. He says He has given us to the Son. And on this basis we will never fall away. It has been decreed by God and so you can be sure that it will come to pass. What assurance for the church. We don't keep ourselves in the faith by our own power and will but rather it is through the strength and power of God that we are kept into the faith. See, we will never completely abandon the faith for we are those who God promises will be preserved until the end. And so there is no such thing as I I used to be a Christian. I'm sure we've all heard people say, perhaps we have friends and family who have said, you know, I used to be a Christian, but then I, I read the latest science book or something and now I'm smart and I know that Christian stuff is just hocus pocus. No, you never were then. For if if we've learned, the Father keeps all those whom He has called. As God's promises can never be broken. So if you are Christian, you are Christian only in name only. For the covenant of grace cannot be broken. 
God's promises cannot be broken. Jeremiah declaring the word of the Lord in chapter 32 verse 40 says this very thing. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. We as a church have the promise of God to stand upon. How glorious is that? He will keep us. We will never turn away forever from Him. For He has promised this to us. And how does the Father accomplish, accomplish this? Jesus tells the saints in John chapter 14, verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. The Father keeps us until the return of Christ by granting to us His Helper, by giving to us the Holy Spirit who will teach us all things, who works within us and who keeps us in the will of the Father. And this first happened for each of us upon receiving the Gospel as we lay held to that true and saving faith given to us by the Spirit. And it is the Spirit who enabled us that we may be granted that faith that will never fail. And it is likewise the Spirit who works within us daily so that we may receive the mercies of God each and every day as we live upon this earth until we are called home. For recall, what was Jesus' prayer in His high priestly prayer in John chapter 17? Verse 15, He says, I do not ask that they be taken out of this world, but that they be kept from the evil one. Jesus asks not that we be removed, but be kept. And the prayer of the Son is always in accordance with the will of His Father. For He and the Father are one, so we can be sure that the Father will answer the prayer of the Son. And He did by sending His Spirit into each one of us, which testifies it, bears witness to the fact that we are those who are being kept from the evil one. We are those who are being preserved until the Lord returns once more. Yet, this reality, this reality that the Father has called us, the Father is the one who is keeping us, does not absolve us from participating in our Christian walk. We aren't to use our members in any manner we choose. We aren't antinomians. God's law still rules. Although now it no longer stands over us and condemns us and shuts us up and shows us to be guilty sinners. Rather, now it is our rule of life. It is our guide for how we ought to walk. For we are still called, as Jude says in verse 20, to be building ourselves up. We are to be doing something in the most holy of faith by praying in the Spirit. We are to remain in God's Word daily. We are to be praying daily, to be occupying ourselves with the things of God. If you remember in Colossians, we are called to seek and set our minds upon the things in heaven. Heavenly things, eternal things, not earthly and temporal things. This characterizes the behavior. This characterizes the desires of one who is being called, of one who is being kept until Christ returns. Does this describe you? Does this describe you? For if it does, Jude is reminding you of who you are. As Jude in this opening salutation is reminding the, the churches he writes to who they are. He told the saints that although false brethren are coming to lure you away from Christ, from the 
truth of the gospel. You can stand up to this test for you are those who have been called, you are those who have been loved, and you are those who are being kept. And so then we move to verse 2, where Jude prays for the multiplication of mercy. He prays for mercy, peace, and love. This is the second point of our morning, which is what we receive. First, we receive mercy. This is not just pardoning mercy. But here what Jude has in mind are the effects of mercy. Mercy is God granting to us all that we need, God's favor unto us. And so Jude prays that God continues to give His favor to these people that they would not falter in the face of these attacks. Now, we don't merit mercy. That is neither before grace or after grace. We never merit mercy. Think of one who is before the judge and they throw themselves before the court in sentencing and they seek out the favor of the judge although they are undeserving of it. We likewise as Christians receive mercy upon mercy although we do not deserve it. For God is faithful and true and just and He is completing in us that which He began, until the Lord returns. He has shown us mercy by singling us out and setting us apart to do His will. And so He will continue to grant us mercy. But we must be those who ask for mercy though. Likewise, what Jude is teaching us is that we are those who need to be sustained continually by new supplies of mercy each day. For anything that we do that is pleasing to to the Lord is out of sheer mercy. The fact that these saints can stand up to these ungodly people who have come into the church is because God has given them the mercy to do so. Also in verse 22, Jude tells the saints to have mercy on those who doubt. Not only do they need mercy in the face of attacks, but they also need God's mercy in order to show mercy to others. We don't naturally produce mercy within ourselves. God produces it within us. And so we are able to show mercy to others because we have first been shown mercy. And we have the example of mercy given to us by God in Christ. Yet Jude also asked for peace. Peace is especially needed in, in this time as Intruders are coming in and trying to cause division amongst the brethren. And so Jude prays that peace be multiplied one to another. As he knows God desires that we be those who are of one mind and one soul. These false brethren are trying to cause unrest. Trying to turn one brother away from the other. But they, having the peace of Christ, will not falter. Will not fail. That fellowship will not be broken. We all know what it's like to have someone who comes in between a relationship with someone that we're close to. Perhaps you have a best friend, or a mother, a father, a sister, a brother, and someone's tried to come in and cause division through gossip perhaps. But your bond, your earthly bond, was so close that you would not allow anything to come between you and, and them. Now think about the spiritual peace that we have, this spiritual bond that we have been given by God. And how strong that bond is. And so we should never allow anyone to come between it and fracture it. And we can have this peace with one another because, Jude says, we have love. Love of Father and love of one another. Yet this is not the love the world displays. 
This is love that we can have because love has first been shown to us. Our love is in response to the love of God. We by nature can't love in its true sense. We were born sinners. We were born hating God, not loving Him. God the Father is a terrible figure to the ungodly. There is nothing lovely about God the Father to them. Even now, Christians, you and I, we love the Father in Christ. We love the Father in Christ. For if we had not Christ, the Father would be a terrible figure to each one of us as well because we would be owing Him satisfaction. Yet because of what Christ has come and done and reconciled us to the Father, we now love the Father as well. He is lovely to us. And so because we have first been shown love, we can love God in Christ and we can love one another. And you know why we love one another? We love one another because we see Christ in one another. That's what makes each and every one of us lovely to each other. We see Christ in one another. And so Jude prays that this uh, grace of love be multiplied amongst the brothers, that they may stand together in unison to defend the faith in front of these false brothers, that they may be willing to stand up and risk relationships, to risk occupation, jobs, friendships, pleasures of this world in order to stand in defense of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we, the church, are those who are loved, called, and kept. And we receive all that it is that we need to live upon this earth. Mercy, peace, and love. But then, this tells us who we are. And this has told us what we receive. But then we turn to our final point, which is why we receive it. Why do we receive it? And this should be obvious, because we're Christians. We receive it because we belong to Christ. We, like Jude, are servants of the Lord. We are being kept for Christ. And why is that? Because He was sent to redeem us. He came down upon this earth, taking humanity upon Himself, living that perfect, sinless life, that passive and active obedience, being hung upon that cross, purchasing each and every one of us by His blood. And so now we are united to Christ. He, our head, and we, His body, And we are being preserved until He returns. This is why the Father blesses us. This is why we receive the benefits of Christ. This is why we are being kept. Because we belong to Christ. Now many of us finished this past week celebrating Christmas. And we gave and received earthly gifts. But one thing that is interesting is that Jude speaks of no earthly gift here. He speaks of spiritual gifts for the saints because he desires that we be conformed to the image of his Son, the Savior of the world. Is that what you desire, you who have been made alive with Christ? As the more conformed we are to Christ, although attacks may come, we will not be those who despair because we are those who have hope, knowing that we are being preserved by the Father. See, the church universal will never dissolve for it is being kept into everlasting life. The Father has given us the Son, has promised us eternal life, has given us the guarantee of this inheritance. And so I ask you this, who can stand in the way of the Lord? Who can deny His people what He has promised? Who can deny us mercy, peace, and love? No one can. No one can. 
Yet we must be those who only look to the Lord for all we need. And we do this by relying on God's Word. We must be people of the book. We must be familiar with His Word. We must know what He desires of us. This means we also must be people of prayer. For He tells us that we, all we ask He will give to us if it is according to His will. And so let us be those who seek every spiritual blessing. So let us give thanks and praise to our God. Let us rejoice in Him as He chose us to be His people. We are those who are called, loved, and kept by God. We are the recipients of His mercy, uh, peace, and love now being in Christ. So as we come to a conclusion, as we close, I want to leave you with one final thing, hopefully to bring you encouragement and to bring you comfort. To demonstrate how even what Jude spoke about then is relevant and true for us even here today. Think about it. It wasn't but two weeks ago that we had nowhere to worship. We were out out in the cold. Right? Within two days, we had this place offered to us. Within two days. Two weeks later, we are here we are once again together, worshiping. This is the mercy of God to His people. This is nothing we've done. This is God's favor unto us. He, he is the one who granted us this opportunity and this place to once again come and worship. Likewise, it is He who has given each and every one of us the peace of Christ. Peace between one another. Peace of conscience, knowing that whatever God has in store for us, He's working it out for our good and His good pleasure, for His glory. Likewise, God has given us love for one another. The desire to continue on here. The desire to come together and still worship with one another because we see Christ reflected in one another. We are image bearers of Christ. We find one another lovely because of what Christ has done. And so we desire to come together and to contend for the faith, to the praise and glory and honor of our heavenly King and our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us bow our heads please and pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word, for it is true, it is righteous, it is just. We thank You that we can stand upon the promises of God, that no matter what the world says, we know that You cannot lie, and that what You say to us is true and shall come to pass. And so, Father, we thank You that You have called us with a heavenly calling, an inward and external call, that You have loved us before the foundation of the world, not because of anything that we have done, but out of Your own good will and pleasure. And we thank You, Father, that we do not have to keep ourselves in the faith, but You keep us. Father, we pray this day that You would multiply mercy, peace, and love within this congregation, that You would grant to us a more and more a daily increase that we may go on in our, our weekly lives and that we would be those who reflect the image of God and that we would desire to come here and see that image in one another once again next week. Father, we ask all these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.